Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. This is episode 370, and I'm so excited to join by my future self. This is what I want to be like. I want to be like Miss Phyllis Dobbs. And Phyllis is here. I met her at camp, and she just blew me away. This lady has done so many things. And, and I really feel like she's a trailblazer. Um, she was a trailblazer for women entrepreneurs in the 80s um, as an artist selling um, her designs. And she sold wholesale. She's uh, had, She has a heart for community. She created a, a conference for people that were licensing um, their artwork and selling it since uh, you've been doing that for like 14 or 15 years, right? Uh, actually, for that, it's been uh, since 13. So this is this will be the ninth one coming up. Okay, so maybe not as long as I made it out to be, but it seems like a long time. I know, and you've done it. You did it digital. Um, that it's been small, and then it got big, and then it's it got digital last year or virtual last year. So um, yeah, so Amora says she remembers you from camp and um, Pridge is here also from Vancouver, Washington. So I'm glad and she loves to do things with her hands too. So um, we are excited. I'm really excited to have you, Phyllis. So can you give everybody a little bit of your background? I know, so you grew up in Mobile where I live now. But we've never met. I can't wait for you to be able to come come home and uh, we can go to lunch or dinner or something. But then um, you came to camp and you're in Birmingham, but you went to University of Alabama and you studied interior design, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Give them a little bit of like your career background, the, the shortened version, because we're going to dive into it in a minute. You know, I went to college and then I when I graduated, I uh, took a, you know, nine to five job. And, but growing up, my uh, aunt and grandmother, I mean, my, my, well, my grandmother did quilting. My aunt did uh, needlework, type all kinds of needlework. My mother knitted. So I learned a lot about needlework. And I've always liked doing things creative with my hands. So it just started with that, knowing that in the background and at some point wa- wanting to do that myself. So I actually called a uh, needlework company and said, how do I design for you? And they go, well, we sell kits. You've got to sell us the kits. And I went, I knew nothing about how to create a kit. So I eventually learned that, sold to the company. And about three months ago, I get a call from the person that, that the company won't know if I wanted the job being their buyer. But it was like way up north, I would have had to move. So, but I mean, it was kind of like that's come full circle, you know, for me, like, I'd like to design for this company to them offering me the job. That's a big time frame too, though. So you've been, um, you sold to them like when, what, what time period? Yeah, 80s, uh, because that's when I started my business doing needlework design. And so that was when I called and I thought, I don't know how to do this. So then I found another way to go about it, ended up selling kits to them. And, you know, and then all these years later. Three three months ago. So that is a great testament to a great career that you have done other things, you've learned other things, but they really value your eye and they understand where you are in the industry that you're still relevant and they want would have wanted you to be a buyer, which I think is incredible. And it's about relationships that you've had with these companies that you didn't fade out or fizzle out. You still um you know, you, I think that's a that's a really huge, impressive just to be asked. Thank you. Well, I'm going to get into that into my presentation, but this all comes around and the things I've contacts I've made back in the 80s and 90s are still with me now. And it's all a big circle. And 
it's, I mean, it's amazing how things, you know, they change, you know, like bell bottoms, who were thought bell bottoms from what the seventies would come back in style back in what the, uh, to sometime a few years ago, you know, everything comes back. <laughs> right. All right. So we have some new people, Nick, uh, if you're here, just plop in, uh, in the chat, if you want to talk to us, if you have questions, regime is here. She's in Columbus, Georgia. I think that's my friend, Tim, maybe from Ohio, but I don't know. Cause just Tim doesn't, I don't, I can't, can't tell just it's like mm-hmm. Madonna or Cher you know mm-hmm. um, Tim might not be as uh, might be somebody else so tell us where you're popping in from so um, you've started your business back in so when did you well what what year did you start doing the creating the kits for the needlework well, I actually started the needlework before I started kidding I, I did my own publications cross-stitch publications and I did that and uh, once I learned that and learned the industry, then I learned how to kit. So that was in the like the mid 80s, mid, say, 85, 86, 85 was basically when I first started. But and that's it, not all you've done. And you've continually learned and you had a kid like this, that you you were married, you you had you raised a son. So it wasn't like you were just had nothing to do. You were um, I mean, right. Right. In the first 10 years of my business, I was also working full time for with a, that regular job and uh, finally uh, got out of that and doing this full time. So I had a lot of, all, you know, all nighters with my business. Yeah. Well, so how old was your son when you were pulling these all nighters? Was he young enough or were, was he in school or what? He was young enough. I would say probably. uh Eight, nine, ten, eleven, somewhere, somewhere in that range. So uh, wasn't so I asked that because Nick. It's okay. Naomi's here, and she has uh, she has two little ones, and so I always think, you know, it, I want to make sure that people understand that things are possible. And granted, an eight year old is a lot more um, self sufficient than maybe a three year old would be for sure. But I think that there's things that you continually you can learn, and that's what you did. You learned a ton, but you also were a trailblazer. You went. Um, to China and you would go for like a month at a time. This may be in your uh, slide thing too, but to me, that's impressive of somebody that that wasn't really the case back in, uh, in the eighties and nineties, maybe there weren't a lot of women that were going and doing that and handling that, that part of uh, the business. So to me, again, I want to be like you Phyllis, because I just think you're a trailblazer and you just think nothing of it. You're like, Oh yeah, I learned that. I did that on procreate. And I just think I'm just like nothing stops you, and that's why I want to I want to be you. Okay, so pretty great. So and you you uh, we called this uh, episode "How many times can I reinvent myself?" Because you saw that the trend in the '80s. I remember cross stitch, right? And we did that, me and my sister and my mom. Um, and but then the trend changed. So you knew you saw it was changing, and instead of just like, oh my goodness, all my eggs are in this one basket. You pivoted. So how many times do you think you've pivoted in your career? Well, I've probably pivoted uh, seven or eight times. It's within the creative aspect, but there's so many different ways that you can be creative, you know, like from cross-stitch design to quilting to all assorted type of things and then to art licensing and then doing the conference. So, but you know, that 
the thing is, is nothing is a straight line. You know, one thing leads to another, to another, and then you circle back and you go back again. And then, like I mentioned earlier, early, we were talking about all the different contacts. You know, they'll contact you and you go back and forth. And so it's nothing is just a straight line. You have par- things running parallel, too. So it's just a... Uh, how, <laughs> how have you always been able to juggle? Because it seems like, did it was it ever hard to handle so many things at once? Yes, it's hard. And it takes a lot of focus and uh, sometimes a lot of late hours. But it takes like this week, I've had so many little things on my mind. And I just started making a list with my notes on my computer and just writing everything down in the day to, each day what I had to do in the list of over everything I needed to do. And then below I put what I've accomplished for that day. <laughs> so it's, that's had to keep me on track lately because there's just so many little things that have been going on and along with the big things, client deadlines and so, so much of that. So, uh, you know, you got to do the deadlines first and work all the others. in. <laughs> I think that that's a really good way to um, look at it also is that you were, you have a list, but then you also make a list of the things that you were accomplished. So you're being grateful and you are understanding that kind of the importance of not just being down on yourself that you're like, Hey, I actually got things done. Right. That's very important to know that you have accomplished some things, even if it's minor things that you did get something done. Because when you look back, you go, what did I do yesterday? And you can't think of anything. You felt like well, the day was wasted, but it's not. So, Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important, especially at this time, when, when things aren't a straight line, you didn't realize there would be so many twists and turns. So it's really important because now you're logging it in as, hey, I learned a new uh, route to get to this thing that I didn't think was going to be such a windy road. Um, yes, I when you're doing the, the kits and you're, so do you think of yourself as an illustrator? Cause I totally think of your, you as an illustrator because of, I've seen your illustrations. Um, but was that, is, would you have called yourself an illustrator back in the eighties? No, I would consider myself a designer, even though I created the art to use for the designs that created for needlework. I've considered myself just like a needlework designer, but now as I think of myself as an illustrator and I know it all goes in together. So yeah. So uh, <laughs> it does. Have you always been tech savvy? Have you always been on that cutting edge? No, because when I started, there were no computers. <laughs> yeah, but no. did you did you embrace it? Were you like one of those people always that was like, oh, cool, we'll fi- figure this out? Yes, I, I couldn't wait to get my first computer, and I learned how to do that. It was like DOS because there were no Windows, there were nothing. It was like that drove me crazy, and I'd go to print something, and it would literally take all night to print one page. I mean, uh, so then you know you learn as as things the more technology comes in, you just learn it each step of the way, and then you're learning like programs such as Photoshop and Illustrator, and then Procreate, and then. All of this stuff that got, that we need to know now, all of the different apps that I mean, it's never ending with, with the learning. And so, and they never make it simple. They always, <laughs> as soon as you learn something, they upgrade it some way. <laughs> but that's what I love about you is that you, if it embrace this and it's just, I think of you as this like curious childlike spirit because you really do dive in and you know more about Procreate than I do. And you're like, oh, yeah, I got those brushes. I did this. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I do not know how. I don't know when you sleep, but we're going to get into it. So can you so in have you stayed within that kind of crafts industry or have you pivoted outside? So cross stitches within that kind of um, it be sold at Hobby Lobby or 
uh, Michael's or uh, fabric stores or things like that. What other, or have you stayed within? Because I know you've created fabrics too. Well, there's really within the, uh, say, the creative industry, you've got the crafts, which includes needlework or anything that you do with, with your hands. And then you've got the quilting industry, which is a whole, that is a huge market. I mean, like multi, multi-billion dollar market with the fabrics and everything that goes with it. And that's kind of like a whole different industry until itself. And then you've got like the licensing thing, which is art licensing. And that goes into the giftware, the home industries, gardens. So that's a whole new different uh, direction too with, with that industry. So it is really kind of three distinct industries there. So then did you have to learn new things or new connections within that? So it was really, so would you go to different shows? Like I know, I think we've talked about like Surtech or going to getting things licensed and that's a different kind of like a stationary um, outlet, right? Um, right. Or paper uh, things. And then there's other shows that you kind of had to figure out and navigate through in for those other industries? Yes, because when I was doing, you know, the needlework and then the craft industry, I learned all the companies, I learned the personnel, I learned the designers, became friends with those. And then when I switched to fabrics, it's a whole new set of companies, buyers, uh, I mean, designers. So you learn these and then with lasting things, it's the same thing. You learn all these companies, the markets, you like the Atlanta gift market is the biggest market to tend for licensing and then with, with the quilts you have the biggest one is the quilt market in Houston and then you got the craft and hobbies with different shows and needlework so but a lot of find that some of these people cross over you know like you go something I people I knew with the crafts and then you, you see them at the quilt markets and then you run into them at the uh, uh, Atlanta in the gift market there but but basically they're separate industries separate companies separate buyers product developers, whatever. So you do have a whole new set of people and companies you learn with each one. That's cool. Okay. So do you want to jump into your presentation for us into what you're going to teach us? I've titled this, there's always something next because that's what it is and nothing stays the same. And you can see from my beginning with the uh, cross stitch to where I am now with product licensing, and this is some home designs. It's not a straight line. It's really curvy, circling back. There's parallel lines and everything to get from one end to the other. So I started with the cross stitch and I didn't know how to do it, as I've mentioned. So I went to market and met some designers there and they told me all the ins and outs. So when I started designing, I did full color product like this. And I found out later that most people started with black and white one page but I jumped in with both feet and did these and that really jump started me in the business. So my business just really took off. So while cross stitch was so popular, I mean, there was like a cross stitch shop just about on every corner. I designed these and had these uh, published and printed here in Birmingham. And I did a total of 50 of these throughout my cross stitch career before the market crash. Uh, here's another so one. market crashed when? Around 1990 or so. So I was in it for about five years and really doing great when it crashed. Cross-stitch shops went out of business. The uh, distributors who bought tons and tons of books went out of business. So there was no more, nothing to sell anybody. I mean, no customers anymore. So How much of your time at this point, how much of your time were you doing 
like in a week, how much of your hours during the week were you spending working on this business? I would work at my job and then come home and work late, late at night, you know, designing these. And then uh, because the computers weren't out yet, I did a lot of it at first by hand on a typewriter and graphs. And then once I got the computer, I did it on that. And then now it's like they got all these programs to do it with. So it was so different, but I spent a lot of hours doing this. And there were days when I'd take off from work and I'd stay in my pajamas all day because I'd be <laughs> sitting it doing all of this. But uh, I wanted to show about this one, those sacks on that. That was my first foray into manufacturing because one of the uh, needlework companies wanted me to manufacture this for them. So I designed that and then they wanted it manufactured. So uh, I found people within the state to actually make them for me and, you know, went with bagging them up, labeling them and everything and ship them off to the company for them to sell. That's cool. I can say I really didn't like manufacturing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And while I was doing the uh, cross stitch and this is when kind of cross stitch started going away and I started doing freelance and I did a lot of freelance design and ribbon embroidery came out as pretty big for a while. And it, it didn't stay around very long, about five minutes, I think, because uh, one this was a high-end company that I did these books for, and I did several more with them. But uh, a company that was producing cheap uh, ribbons kind of flooded the market, and that kind of people started losing interest because of the ribbons were not good quality or anything that they could get a hold of. So like I said, did books for these with part of my freelance work after that. So I did have to reinvent myself at the same time. This is a parallel course. While I was doing all of this, I was doing quilt designing too and doing the patterns. Okay, this was freelance work. I did a lot of kit designs. And for this company, I did about, I think, 12 of these kits called denim embroidery. I presented the concept to them. And I did the designs. They were on jeans and jean jackets. And so they did the kits and sold them into the uh, craft stores like Michael's and so on. Yeah. So they, the company would call you and say, we need uh, something for like teenage girls and then, or maybe not, maybe not alcohol on teenage girls, who knows? Um, but uh, like they would give you the, the demographic and then they would tell you kind of, or would they give you, what kind of parameters would they give you? Some companies, like one of the companies I did like some designs for, they would tell me what product they needed the designs for and I would just present designs and they would then get back with the ones they wanted but for that embroidery I presented that concept to them and already had the uh, you know the uh, designs kind of sketched out and you know presented that to them and even had the name I came up with the name and everything so they liked it so they licensed that into the kits oh cool so this the next one where you were uh I guess I don't even these look so fancy like French knots and what not? I mean, the and Katya was like, oh, these are beautiful. So like, do you know how to make all these things? Too? Yes, I designed these and stitched these. They were a variety of uh, embroidery. The bottom one's cross-stitch, but it's using the different floss and threads from the DMC company. It's one of the, the major company for, for like needlework floss and, and uh, fibers. And these were used for ads. I did these for them to use in ads. So uh, they presented, those were in magazines uh, for the advertisement for the different threads that were in these. So did you take the photos or did you actually send them the artwork? I sent them that I stitched the designs and sent it to them and they did the photos. Of oh, it. wow. That's like I said, cool. 
freelance covered a variety of work. So, and this one here, this was one of my most fun and unusual projects I did freelance. This is for the same company, but you can see this is like a monopoly board. Yeah. And so I designed all of the squares going around. I also came up with like, you know, like uh, Monopoly's got like park place and these expensive ones and then the low end rent. So I told them which ones should be the high ends or the, or the low end ones. I designed the backs of the cards. I didn't do the girl. They've got a cartoonist to do that. But I designed the, uh, the words and what you go on the back of those cards you pick up in the center. And, uh, you know, pretty much. The whole thing. <laughs> I I'm like. I like the go to jail is rip out seam. That is hilarious. That's so clever because that is you have to start over, right? Like you lose everything. That's it's super clever. And so the funny thing about it, this was years ago that I did this and I still get emails from people trying to find that. I got an email like a couple of months ago with somebody wanting to know where she could find it. And, then, you know, a few months before that, I had from somebody else. So people are still looking for this, even though it's no longer in print. So they had the idea to do this and then you figured out how to make it like they just you pitched it or they came to you and then you just figured it out. They came to me and said they wanted me to design the boards going around, you know, like the different. I think I gave them all the names too. like there's uh, Star Lane or different ones because that's a star pattern. So I gave them all of the names and credit the actual blocks. And like I said, I did just pretty much everything except the uh, girl that's on the cards. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was really a, a really fun, uh, fun project to do. I really enjoyed it. So, okay. Another freelance thing I did, and this is I'll kind of jumping ahead here, but when I was in the quilt, got doing quilt designs with my fabric company, uh, I did some designs for other people too, because I knew how to design quilts. So I used did the quilts for some of their other artists. And so I did this one for Marie Osman. That's who I thought that was. I used to watch her show. <laughs> she had her fabric line with the same company I was with. And so I designed that quilt with her fabrics and then got to meet her, as you can see, and got a hug from her because she loved the quilt. You can see it on the wall behind her. Yeah, that's cool. And this right here is kind of like the sum of all my freelance work for magazines and books. Wow. One of those has got at least one design I created for it in it. And several of them have like anywhere from two to six designs in them. Wow. Miss Phyllis, that's impressive. That's a lot of work. So. It is. Wow. So then when I was doing the quilts, I, I did quilt patterns to start with. And I exhibited at the Houston, in Houston at the uh, other places that for the big quilt markets with the patterns. But then I also did uh, books too. And uh, the one on the uh, right, the dimensional quilts was my first book. And the one on the left is my last book. So uh, the one dimensional quilts, I know it's like, you know, I've worked in the industry for so long, knew so many people, had done so much. But when you walk up to somebody you don't know and you have a book, it kind of gives you street creds. You know, you can walk up and introduce yourself, but, you know, they kind of like blow you off or something. But if you got a book, it's like, you know, Oh, yes. Fantastic. And they want to work with you. <laughs> so I want to I want to just clarify. So these are your are you doing the designs of the fabric also? Well, and for, the, for these, I didn't. These are just some books I did that were not my fabrics, though. But uh, but then do you tell people like which like you need a small uh like, I don't, I can't remember. Yeah, what, yeah, my, yeah, I tell them in the book, you know, like, uh, you know, like say the orange fabric or a tonal 
that the oranges, I would say orange tunnel fabric or striped fabric or, you know, I would describe the fabric. You got diagrams in there that show. And I did do a book that had a lot of my fabrics in it, but these two didn't. At uh, this point, were you also designing fabric or not, not yet? Not yet. Well, okay. uh, no, I, I had not yet. I, well, I think I had it with the one on the left, the astrometrical quilts I had with that one, but the one on the right I had. But the one on the right kind of led me into designing fabrics because Hancock Fabrics was carrying that book and they were starting a program where they were having like some designer fabrics. And so they had me and two others doing their designer fabrics, but it came because of that book because I, I had met with them and I told them I wanted to design fabrics. And so they're, they're out of Tupelo. So uh, it's not too far. So I went to Tupelo and I carried my art and she said, yes, we want to do the fabrics. And then she, you know, told me which collection she wanted and said, I go back and create the fabrics. Well, uh, it's kind of like backwards because back then everything was started being done on Photoshop and you would send Photoshop files, but they wanted the actual art of the fabric instead of the Photoshop files. And so what I did is I created the fabric on my Photoshop, printed it out, sketched it, and then pan painted it. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's crazy. Yeah, I carried it to them and she said, well, you'll get the originals back in pristine shape. But of course they came back with pencil marks, staple holes, tape, and everything else on them. So that was not to be. But after, this is after that, I designed that fabric is when I went to China working because I went to China and I tried to find some photos to show you some of the things over there, but I couldn't find any, but like uh, what year was that when you started going to China? That was 2003 and I went from 2003 to 2005. Okay. So uh, while I was, I would go for like, you know, five times a year for about three to five uh, weeks at a time. And over there, they, they brought me over to design fabrics, but due to the quotas, they could not actually export fabrics. So I ended up doing some of those, you know, those wide ribbons you see at Christmas, that's what they were doing, a lot of that. So I did some of that. I did uh, textile products like kitchen. I mean, it was mostly like Christmas tree skirts, Christmas stockings, uh, other holidays. I would do gift bags for the holidays, placemats, table runners, throw pillows. I just did all of That's what I was doing over there, designing all of that. So Wow. So then after that ended at two years, I really had to stay put after that. My husband became disabled, so I couldn't just go off and leave him for weeks at a time. So I kind of like came back. And so then I came back and said, I wanted the, what I really wanted to do was fabric design. So, so I know that we have some, like, I, I know my friend Maura, she's here, she's in Raleigh. So she's probably on fire, definitely wants to know. She's been doing some um, fabric designs too. So if you just lay it on us, because I think we're absolutely wanting to know how you got into this and how you I mean, at this point, were you thinking you're an illustrator? I was thinking then as a fabric designer. <laughs> I mean, I, I niche myself in instead of just saying illustrator or designer. So I call my company art and design because, you know, some of it, I still got that designer mindset instead of thinking illustrator, which is what I actually do. But I've just been designing so long in my mind that that's what I call myself. But with the fabrics, I had to learn how to do repeats lately but when I was first started I didn't have to do the actual repeat I would put it in like faux repeat you know kind of like how I wanted it to look and then the company would put it in the spare strict repeat when I started with Hancock that's when I like I said I had to draw that by hand and then they put it in the actual pattern when I first went to the show where they were showing that fabric 
I said, well, where's the fabric? Because I walked in and I thought it was my artwork. That's how close they came to the color. I said, she said, that's the fabric. And I had literally had to touch it because it looked just like my art so close. So then uh, when I started going with uh, this company, uh, I would design for them for nine years and uh, I would send them the art in layers in Photoshop. And they would, of course, you know, do the strict repeat. But then I've since learned to put it in formal repeats. I can do that myself. And, and I could, I mean, it is so easy now. I don't know why I didn't learn before. As you can see here too, that my, my natural artwork is bright, colorful and whimsy. Mm -hmm. So uh, they also have learned fabric companies, they create quilts to go with the fabric lines to help promote the fabric. So it helped that I could do quilt designing because I could do my own quilts like I wanted with the fabrics. Whereas uh, other people, they would, you know, have to get somebody else to do the quilts. And I also did here, like I say, some quilts for other artists like that one from Marie. When they would hire you, I'm sorry to keep interrupting. When they would hire you, would that, so you worked for them for nine years. Was it just on like a contract by contract basis or would they hire you and you would do for a whole year, you would do 20 designs or three designs or. It was like a, each contract was like a three-year contract and it would be renewed. And uh, I would do like collections like twice a year. And sometimes I would submit to them and say, what about this? And other times, you know, I would just send, every time I get new artwork, I'd send it to them. And sometimes they'd write back, I want this in fabrics or something. But that this one right here, this one was called Be Yourself. They suggested mm -hmm. that. They said, do one for bees. And I was actually on a plane going to Hawaii for vacation and was drawing some of these on the plane <laughs> because I, I needed to get them done by a certain time. So I was sitting on that plane because it was an eight hour flight and I had, had my Wacom tablet and a laptop and I was sitting there in my seat drawing these. That's awesome. So as an illustrator or a freelance or somebody that's doing stuff like that, you never know what your time frame is going to be. I mean, uh, you'll be up all night or you, you know, things come up and you got a deadline or you got this and that, like I say, you know, this came up and I had to do it while I was on vacation <laughs> flying across the country. <laughs> yeah. I so, definitely uh, had to work on vacation too. So I'm yeah, with you. So, uh, with quilt designs, you know, some people may, and I've had this question asked just uh, not too long ago about uh, designing for clothing. Now with clothing, they want to buy the designs outright. They do not license clothing fabrics. And a lot of them they get from going to shows like Magic and some of the others where the Surtex maybe where they just buy it outright. So if you want to license your art, you do it in what's called the quilting industry. But it's used for everything. These fabrics aren't just for quilts. Even though quilting is, like I say, a multi-billion dollar business. I mean, up in the 50, 50 something billion dollar industry. So they do have a lot of sales. But uh, they also, you know, people buy them for clothes, kids clothing, you know, home decor things like that. So, you know, you're not limited to just quilts with these fabrics when you stay the quilted market. Anyway, there's a format, the way they like the designs done. You know, if somebody's wanting to do fabrics, there's a strict formula of how the fabrics, you know, like for instance, a panel or, you know, you got what you call blenders where you have, like you see these B prints here at the bottom, the pink and the orange, that's what's called a, a blender because it blends in with the rest of the fabrics to kind of tie them together. And you can see like the yellow border and the quilt, you know, in the, the uh, blue background behind the B blocks, you know. So you've got different, you know, you have to have a stripe, a main design. So you've got several categories that your fa fabrics have got to fit in for, for the market for fabrics. And Fridge right, said, nice pattern. She said she liked your bees. 
Okay, thanks. Now, this is my first licensed product after fabrics, you know, because at the same time I was designing fabrics and quilts, I was also creating art or illustrations for licensing. So this is my first, uh, it's a coaster set that was done where they took my art and and actually made, you know, they did the layout themselves for this one. So, so how, how did you learn about the licensing stuff? Like, is this just from having conversations or getting burned or like, how, how did you learn? Because if you're, a, and you probably are going to get to this, but you're an artist, you're a designer, you're working kind of solo on your own. So you meet up when you go to these um, marts or markets, but yeah. you don't necessarily, you really, you learn when you're in community, right? Right. That's the thing about community is, you know, like I learned to do uh, the cross-stitch design by going to a market and talking to all these different designers. And everybody's always so willing to share in the creative industries. You know, it may not be true if you were in like a software industry or something, but with creative industries, everybody is so willing to share. So so with needlework, they gave me all the information I needed. And then when I got ready, I want to do art licensing. I went to Surtex show and walk the Surtex show and the licensing show. Both of those were in New York. Now the licensing one is in uh, Las Vegas. But you go there and you meet other artists that are sitting there in their booths and you talk to them and then you form, you know, you get in these groups. Now, back then it was Yahoo groups. Now they're all Facebook groups and you get these communities and things and you just learn with the industry. So you just dive in with both feet and start showing your art. Did you um, do a booth and then you would have somebody help you with the booth or were you just walking? The first couple of times I went, I walked, you know, you just walk it and see what it's all about, what kind of art's being shown, how to do your booths, you know, because you don't like you go and you don't even know how to put a booth together until you've been and seen what the booths look like. And you learn that way. And you, like I say, people are generous in telling you things and you learn that way too. And in the uh, Surtex is held in connection with the National Stationery Show. So you can see the stationery booths also. And so that's kind of a crossover industry because the stationery falls within the uh, art, I mean, the gift industry. So just a learning process. You just have to dive in and just start. And you can't be bashful either about your art because I would go and I feel like nobody's going to like my art. You know, I'm kind of, you feel kind of like nobody's going to like my art. You know, I'm not like good as that person or I'm not as good as that person. But I've learned that everybody feels that way. Every artist, no matter how successful they are, has this thing like, I'm not as good as that person or like you're a poser. Everybody feels that way. <laughs> and so it's, it's not just, you know, somebody may feel that way, but it, that's the way everybody feels. So don't ever let that hold you back <laughs> with what you're trying to do. I agree. We always, and Katya said, glad to hear it and that it's not just her. Right. It's everybody. Because <laughs> I've heard some people that I would never have thought to say that and they all feel the same way. So. <laughs> So this is what I kind of part of what I'm doing now. I've been licensing, you know, like the, some garden products, uh, garden flags, uh, like I said, the coasters, uh, different products. And so I'm doing a lot of uh, bedding throws and so other other things I'll show you. But I just want to show you, you know, when I show you my fabric, my style naturally is bright and colorful and whimsy. Well, this company I'm doing a lot of work for, they are Lodge, Lake and Lodge look. And so that's not whimsy and it's not really colorful. So I had to learn and adapt to do uh, these type of designs, but I've been doing it for so long now. I actually enjoy working in this medium. And so it's, it's really, I turned out uh, really good to kind of 
change this way. And also that's one thing people should keep in mind is there are big brands that you can recognize, you know, by their look. And they're usually big names and they don't have to adapt or change as often, even though they do still do have to change. And I could give you some names, you know, that you've probably seen for years that have had to change. But but if you are versatile with what you do, you can get so much more work. I mean, you can get a lot more work if you can just be versatile and do what the client, the main thing is do what the client wants. You know, if the client wants you to design Lake and Lodge, you do that. If they want you to design something else, you do that. You do what they want. You know, that's where you get, get the work. And if you don't do it and if you balk at it or you like so try to fight them on it, you'll find yourself with that work, you know. Mm, so don't maybe a takeaway is don't be a prima donna on, right, you know, exactly. just embrace it and say, hey, yeah, I can try it. I'll try it. And well, let's see. Sure, I can do that. You know, you don't ever say, well, let me think about it. Or you sure you want that color? Or no, I'm not changing that. That's, a, you know, that's a no, no. When they come at you and say, oh, would you change this color? You know, there are a lot of artists that have gone through this where they go, I don't want to change that. That's not the color I meant. I don't want it that color. And you go, they are, they don't, they'll end up not working with that company very long. You know, the, they say, take that pink and make it green. You do it. You know, you do what they want, you know, because they know what sells for them. They know what their customers right. want. And that was one thing I learned in, when I was, you know, doing the fabric design for that company. It's like, they know what their customer wants. So do it like they want it to do. So, and then other things I have designed are like shower curtains. I've designed sheets the bedding i've done rug designs and you can see these rugs here are with that lake and lodge look yeah company but you know there's a big market for it so it's just you know uh what the customer wants so so katya asked a question so should you not want to have one distinctive style not unless you're a big name like somebody like say for instance i'm thinking of mary Engelbright because (laughs) i was thinking of her too because she got into the situation where, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but you know, she was known for her certain look and the red cherries. And she told somebody, because I, I knew somebody that worked really, really close with her. She told us that I would wish I never had to paint another damn cherry again. And she actually tried to get, she was also with my same fabric company and she presented a whole new style with them. And they said, nope. So she went to a different company and they took it. And when I saw it, I went, I really like that, but I don't like it being Mary's because that's not Mary Ingram, But I love the fabrics, but it just wasn't her. And I don't know. I don't think, I think that was her only line she did for that. But if you've got a specific look you want to be known for, you can keep that look. And as it gradually changed, don't come up against a wall and realize you've got to change and you can't do it because you're known for one look like the cherries. So, uh, There's something to that, though, because you've had a a long career, right? So it's about, yes, you have a distinctive look for different trends and different parts of the industry, but then you are also willing to try new things as you kind of overlap and pivot to do new things. So uh, could you do a different line under a a pseudonym or that Amy says? Yeah, I know uh, an artist who does a lot of fine art and she wants to license. And she said, licensing, you know, the fine artists kind of frown on licensing. So she's been trying to go back and forth between the industry. So she's decided to put her licensing art under a different name. 
So, you know, you can do that too. Uh, let me see. Um, you can make a lot of money. There's a different industry. It's a different than selling fine art. Right. So it's too art, but, but, but she's really having to do it under different names now. Like I know Tracy Porter is another name that's really branded. Everybody knows her look and everything, but Back when uh, I was doing the, uh, with the fabric company that, that I was doing all that work for, they uh, had two lines within the fabric company. They had the independent gift shops, I mean, quilt shops that were like the little small, you know, shops. And then they had the chain stores. So the uh, shops, the quilters only lines do not like for their designers to be designing for the chains. So I designed for both. So they put, you know, the independent shops were under my name, the ones that went into the, the uh, chains they put under that was well, that Lucky Duck design that I used for CrossFit. So that way it was like two different lines I had with them. So so there are ways to work around it. You know, you can always, if you want to be known like say for Tracy Porter, you can stick with your look. But if you want to be doing other things on the side, you could do it like under that different name. I love that. That's a good insight. Mm-hmm. Were you always business savvy? It's just something I learned every step of the way. You know, you make a mistake and you go, oops, now I know not to do that again or something like that. But you learn it's a constant learning process. Mm-hmm. I was on the show that in addition to what I'm doing now with the licensing, I still have an Etsy shop. I have print on demand shops. And uh, the Etsy shop is focused on quilting because I've got so many quilters and you can target them so easily. So I've got a lot of quilt followers and everything and then people like I say it's a big industry so I have the mugs in there and then I have uh some a lot of downloadable quilt patterns that they can do as pdfs and downloads so I don't have to ship them and these are two patterns that were in books that uh back that I did and the thing about that is I own the copyrights to them so I'm pulling as I get time pulling them out of the books and making individual patterns to put on my Etsy store so that Ooh. I can it's kind of just multi-use. You try to use things as many ways as you can. Was that something you did, you always kept out? If you could, you held the copyright? I tried back when I was doing a lot of that freelance work where I showed you all the books and magazines. So many of them back then wanted all rights. And you gave them up because, they, I mean, it was just the standard industry standard. And then I look back now and I realize I can't use any of those designs. And then as I started going forward, I started keeping all rights. And so now there's a company that keeps sending me emails all the time, want me to, you know, submit designs to them. But that company is one of the ones that was very strong on all rights. And so I just, I've talked to somebody one time, they said, oh, we can work around that now, but I just have never gone back to it. But uh, mainly because of time, but I just, uh, but the books, you know, the, the books I did, they, they were my designs so that I could, you know, reprint them like individually like this. So, Yeah. And then I started Art Biz Channel. <laughs> so, so this was 2013. 2013. And this came about because as artists like the Atlanta gift market, you know, we're always meeting up and talking, but we have such limited time to talk, but we love to get together, network and, and talk. So I kept thinking maybe I can have some kind of art retreat. I have a condo in Destin, Florida, and I thought I can have an art retreat or something down there where we can all get together and talk and network and do everything. And then, so I started, you know, talking to some people about it. And one product developer from a big giftware company came in on helping us out with that. And she suggested, because so many uh, 
there's so many art retreats where you learn a different technique with this art focus. Like you just go and you learn a different technique or just paint or do whatever. And we decided to make it business focused for art businesses because she told us that so many people were going into licensing that had no clue on what to do or what anything was involved with that. And she said, they really need to be educated. So that was the focus of Art Miss Jam was uh, she came and spoke that first year and we did have a little bit of creative time, but she spoke about the industry she was in and how to submit designs and what artists need to do. So uh, that first year was like at the beach and this is, it was a small group. It was our closing party we, that evening at the beach. Our last night we had a, a shrimp ball and so had a party. So here we were that first Art Miss Jam. So all of these, these people became friends. It became a tribe and they're so welcoming of new people coming in. And two of those girls there have been at every one, you know, every year they've come back and some of the others have been back at different ones and ones that come for later ones keep coming back every year. So it, it's, it just, it's, we thought when it first started that it would just be a rotation every year of different people, but it didn't turn out that way. The same ones kept coming back. We're just adding more to it. So this is the last live one in 2019. This was in Kansas City. And this is not everybody. Uh, some of them had already left early and some other product developers had left. So I think some were out wandering around, didn't realize we were going to do the group picture. But uh, so that's, it's grown to this. And then this course last year, 2020, it went virtual. And that was a whole new process because I didn't know how to do a virtual retreat. You know, I knew how to do Zoom, but I didn't know. So I took a, a three-day, very intense online event where they talked about how to do virtual things and how to promote it and things to do. So that gave me a lot of insight. And I just sat down and had to switch from live to virtual, like I think last May or something, because I put out words, you know, in the groups, like, do you want to do virtual or, or you think you, do you want to come live? And everybody's going, no, we're not going to travel. We're not going to travel. So so by doing it virtual, and I was like really scared it wasn't going to go over, and it turned out to be such a success. I mean, I couldn't believe what a big success it was. And so it even started, it was it was going to be like Zoom meetups every week until the end of uh, December, and then it was going to be it. But everybody was loving the meetups, and they were coming. And so we started doing it twice a week. It go on through the end of March. And by accident, well, not by accident, one person mentioned uh, some software. So she did a tutorial in, in one of the meetups and everybody loved that. And the next one, they wanted to know how to do something else. So another person told how to do that because all of these people that come to the meetup, they got some kind of skill themselves from what, what they've been doing over the years. So now part of our meetup is a regular tutorial on something. And we'll be talking about something. Somebody goes, I know how to do that. So I said, okay, we you going to do that for such and such a week, you know? So we have all these tutorials and then I record these so that, you know, the ones that can't make it to the live Zooms can go back and watch them because they have so much information in them. And everybody, even the new people that came in with the virtual have all meshed together and become friends. And it's just turned into such an amazing thing. I never would have known this in 2013, what this would grow into. So Paul says, I love how Phyllis just sees the possibilities in every turn she takes. And I totally agree, Paul. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> It is infectious, Phyllis, for sure. Out of the Art Miss Gem 2 also came the membership. So at the end of the one that I just showed in 2019, I came back and learned a whole new uh, system as Kajabi for doing a membership. And talk about Kajabi. I know how to do websites. Kajabi was like 
oh my God, that took two months to learn to do that. It was just so different. And I'm constantly online with help. Like, well, what do I do? Because it was just so intense to try to learn to do that. But I think I've kind of mastered it enough to get me by right now. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's going on. And then I wanted to show here in closing how things just go around. Like first when I'm one on the left with my career, I started the cross-stitch and needlework, went into quilting, went into fabric design, went into product licensing. So one of my cross-stitch companies I did work for years ago as a uh, kit company has reached out to me, reached out to me uh, about two years ago to design some cross-stitch kits for them. And then last year I did one, but because of the pandemic that didn't, that just kind of fizzled out, but they've come back to me this year with some more kits, three kits type of kits for them. So I'm still, you know, some of that's just like come around again. The quilt designing, another quilt company, a fabric company uh, is asking me, has been asking me to design quilts for them with their fabric lines. So it just like rotates, you know, and you have the parallel things going on too, like with Art Biz Jam and some of the other things were running parallel. But, uh, you know, the uh, conferences formed just from networking and, and knowing everybody liked to network. So we started the conferences and then it grew and then we charted the membership and then it turned into virtual last year with the meetups. And then next, this year is going to be virtual also because uh, nobody knows, you know, what's going to happen with the pandemic. So yeah. we decided to, uh, you know, talking to the people, they just said, you know, let's just do it virtual again. So even though a couple were like, I really want to do it live, but anyway, so next year when we can meet, it's going to be hybrid. It's going to be, which is a new term now for conferences, which is both virtual and in-person. So there, there are a few people that joined the virtual that cannot travel. So they will wanting to do virtual too, a continuing. So that's going to be another thing, learning how to do a hybrid conference. <laughs> yeah. Regime said, um, I would love to design lost design patterns. I think that, that uh, that's a great idea too. So um, what's the biggest lesson that you learned or skill that, it, cause you had to learn so many different things. Like you've, you have this super cute, like yoga cats doing yoga. And I kind of even know how you stay up on all trends and, and what's going on, but I don't know when you sleep, but what was a big lesson for you in, in all these years of having to pivot and, and be flexible? It's just mine is if you want to stay relevant in the business, you've got to change and you've got to, you've got to embrace change and not, and not dread it, you know, and sometimes, you know, especially with software and all these new apps and learning, you know, like clubhouse, you know, learning, you know, it's a new app, the new, newest hot thing, you know, so, but no matter what you do, you just kind of try to embrace it and learn it and just try to keep up with what's going on. And if you hear something, ask questions about it. When somebody mentions something, you don't know what it is, you know, what is that? You know, that's, you know, because, you know, the first time I heard Clubhouse, I went, what is that? And they, you know, and they, so you learn about it that way. You learn about anything. Somebody, if you hear a trend, you ask about that. I remember when the, somebody in uh, email one time said, Fox is going to be the, the, uh, the next uh, owl. The, it's going to be, you know, because the fox, I mean, the owl was so big in trends. And then somebody said, the next owl is going to be the fox. It's going to be, and it was, you know, Fox went strong with trends. So you just uh, kind of watch and pay attention and, if you are really wanting to keep up with trends and what's kind of what's going on in companies, you know, you know, use the internet to search out these companies. But like 
go into stores physically and I always like go in and I've just got a habit. You pick, you see something, you just pick it up and see what it says on the back, like the company or, or who, who designed it. Cause like the art, the artist names you Leon as, you know, the copyright. So you, you know, you get, so you recognize certain artists and everything. You just pick it up and look at it and you uh, get the name of the company or, uh, you know, so you just, you just have to research and just pay attention to everything. So. Be curious, right? Mm-hmm. And Chris Martin wrote down, uh, you can do trendwatching.com. So thank you, Chris. I appreciate yeah. it. So There's you, um, companies on there that are, you know, focused on different things. You know, some of them are really super expensive and some are not, but, uh, so. So if, if more is thinking about taking some or making patterns or my friend, Alan, he, he knows all about like the blenders and he's creating this pattern series. Um, what would be the first step for somebody like, um, like Alan or my friend, Maura? to actually start designing them or yeah, well so they've designed them and now they want them to be used like maybe sold and um what would be like licensing because it this seems like a whole nother thing that i know nothing about this is what art biz jam is all about right so yes. but what what would be a first step well i would say the first step is to go out and go to fabric stores but you know some states you know i'm you know, last year they were all closed, you know, and, but if you've got a local fabric store, even if it's a Joann's or um, I don't know if Michael's, I don't think they still have any fabrics, but like Joann's or Hobby Lobby, you, know, you can go in there and just kind of look, but they're going to use a lot of those that be private label on there. But the biggest way to actually know is to, uh, if you can get the name of the fabric companies, because there's several name, you know, big fabric companies, you could go to their websites and see what kind of lines they produce because they show them on the websites. But if you want to actually talk to one and just get a feel for the market, I would say the Houston quilt market in October is like the main one. They have a spring one, but it's a smaller show, but the one in Houston is where everybody is. And you can talk to fabric companies and you can see what the lines look like because, you know, some fabric companies kind of have a certain look or certain style and others have different ones. You want to find one that kind of fits in with, with what your style is. So that's a good way just to walk down and just see what's that because that com- that market will blow anybody's mind has not been there before because it's just so huge and you've got so many fabrics and so many colors and it's just so vibrant and everything. So that would be if you can go to Houston for that quilt market in October, that's the best way to get into the business. Okay, so this is a longer question, but I really want to get it answered. So you've been able to tackle challenges. That's like the whole thing with Art Biz Jam or Kajabi or whatever. Like it never gets you so that you are like, oh, you know what? I'm just not going to do that. I'm, I mean, like I, I've just known you for a year almost and I've never seen like you are you've like even with Clubhouse, you're like, yeah, I guess I'll just figure this one out, too. Like, I don't know how you have this amazing attitude, but I love it. Um, so when when. Things come up, challenges come up uh, in your business while others have, uh, other people have come across these same hurdles and it stops their progress, right? So they've allowed it to define, I'm, I'm not going to go there. And, and sometimes we have to choose what part, what side of the fence we're going on. Um, but how do you tackle it and how, what has been like a key for you in continuing to be positive or move forward or... Is there something? Is it a character trait? I think it is because there are times I say, "Why don't I just retire?" But I love doing what I do, and I don't. I want to stay relevant, 
and I guess I'm kind of competitive too and that I want to be out there. If I see somebody like, oh my God, they got these product lines. Well, I can do that, you know? So you think about it that way. And when you come up to a big challenge, like sometimes you want to throw like learning Kajabi. I wanted to just like, I, I just can't do this, but I thought, I've got to do it. I've got to learn this. So you just sit there and make yourself plow through it. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting up and walking away for a few hours or go shopping or, or just, you know, switch focus, you know, you know, like if you're working on one thing, quit that and work on something else. So it's just a combination of how big the problem is and deadlines and what you want to do. Cause there are things, you know, sometimes I look at it and go, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to do it. You know, some opportunities I've had, you know, like say that, and that company keeps, you know, sending me the emails about quilt design and it's like, no, not going there again, you know? So, uh, you know, you just decide, and I've learned too, I think it's best if you prioritize which you want, you know, like, which is your most important job to do, which are you going to benefit from the most, whether it's money or something else, and your biggest thing, and put that at the top. And I was in this uh, thing, uh, event this last week, and, and, that, and I'm sure everybody's heard this, but they were talking about, you know, what you put in the jar first is the, is the stones, and then you put the pebbles, and then you fill it in with sand. You don't start with sand first. So I think of that with your business. You fill it with what the, the, the rocks are first. You get your biggest things and your biggest priorities and do that first. And then you come back to your secondary things. Now, what I want to do when I get to have the time to work on this, then you throw those pebbles in and work on that. And if you've got time, you filter the sand in. And that could probably be a, a margarita or something like that. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the final is some sort of liquid, right? So it seems like when you have something like the Kajabi or or even Procreate or figuring out brushes or, or even trends, it seems like you dive in and you like devote some time to that learning. So you, you'll pay for a course, you'll do some extra things that have, have to do with that. So is that a key of... Uh, delegating some of that that bigger rock time, like this is going to make a bigger impact. So I'm going to dedicate right. some time. I, I know that. I've got to get this done and it will help me if I knew this over here or spend a little bit of time doing this research. So then I'll I include that in with the rock time. You know, like I've got to get this done, but I need to learn this first or I need to, you know, find some resources or something. So you, you just kind of lump it all together. So um, I hate it when I, if this client, you know, like, I need these new designs like two days. So you work it up, but you're in such a hurry. You can't really do like you really want. You just got to get to them. And then he says, well, let me give you two more days. Do some more. You know, those got add to these or, or change these. So you got two more days. And then you, well, I need two more days. It's got to be done absolutely by Friday. And so, you, you know, you're scrambling like this. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, how about next Wednesday? Can you have them all to me then? I'm like, if you tell me Wednesday, a week or two, you know, later for the very beginning, I could have had all that time to really plan it out, you know. So it's like, you know, sometimes it's, it's like you just got to hustle without having the time to really do what you want with it. So, so maybe you have to make decisions quick, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I want to ask this one, too. Do you think of yourself as inspiring no, I think of myself as just like, like I say, uh, what was that term I used? Uh, you know, like you don't feel like you're, I feel like I try to educate and try to be on top of things, but I never really know that I'm inspiring because I don't look in at myself that way. You know, I guess, I guess that's 
what is it? I said, you know, you always feel like everybody else is doing more, better or whatever. And, and here I'm the little me over here. And I still feel some of that sometimes, you know. So uh, <laughs> you wrote this answer and I just think it's uh, beautiful. You said, I think of myself as someone who loves to learn, create and educate rather than being inspiring. But I think the way you, you um, learn and the way you create and the way you educate is super inspiring. So I'm just thankful that you're my friend and you answer my texts when I text you. Um, so we've, there's so many things. How do you stay energized in, in life? Do you have a key? Do you have a special drink you drink in the morning? Uh, I I just uh, have a lot of energy. I don't know why I have a lot of energy, but I take vitamins and I, I just, I don't know. I just have some energy and You're I was born that way. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I've been called the energizer, energizer bunny more than once. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, is So I asked uh, if there was a, a favorite quote. Is this something I try to ask everybody? If there was a favorite quote or something that's really uh, you keep close to your heart, especially as you go through trying times. Uh, do you remember what you wrote? Yeah, and I don't know if I can get the words right again. One of them is when things are looking kind of down, I think, you know, this the uh, it's the darkest before the dawn, but then I found out it's really not darkest before the dawn. It's really more around midnight, but I still like the, like the saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other one is if, if you shoot for the moon, you may you miss, you end up in the stars. So I like that one too. <laughs> I like that one too. You, I think that was by Brian Luttrell or, or I think, I don't know how you say his name, but <laughs> something like that. Anyway, I think that that's great. And um, Fabio says that energy is called passion. So I, I'm just super thankful that you were able, and I want to share ways for people to get in touch. And I have shared a bunch when, when you were um, talking, I wanted, but I just want people to make sure. And all these links are, if you go to rechargingyou.com slash 370, or you can find them underneath if you're watching on YouTube, or if you're listening on your favorite podcast, these are in the show notes. So rechargingyou.com slash 370 or this. So phyllisdobbs.com, D-O-B-B-S, and then artbizjam.com. And then there's the membership also for the uh, Art Biz Jam Abundance uh, group. And then the Facebook group is, uh, or you can be friends with there, Phyllis Dobbs. And then also um, uh, Facebook Art Biz Jam is a page. Go ahead just a page but art biz gem community anybody can join that and there's a lot of artists that network ask questions answer questions so you know chit chat going on there all the time about usually about art licensing and art you know things like that so it's a really good group you can check her out on um linkedin phyllis dobbs and then also instagram she has two so art biz jam and then also phyllis m dobbs m as in mitchell i think is your main name right yeah. Mm-hmm. So then um, on Clubhouse, you can find her at Phyllis Dobbs. I don't know how you have time to do all this stuff, but okay. First time I was on, it was four hours. I mean, I cooked dinner, ate dinner and took a shower. <laughs> when it went off. I was listening in the shower and, I, and they said bye, but of course I couldn't say anything. Oh my goodness. That's, that's commitment. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I can imagine. So uh, if you want to are interested in print on demand, she does on Spoonflower. I think um, uh, Pridge asked about that. So spoonflower.com slash profiles slash Phyllis Dobbs and then Zazzle and Etsy. So she still designs quilts for the store on Etsy, which is called, called Whimsy Color. 
So Phyllis, thank you so much. Thank you for gracing us with your amazing story and just your energy and presence. And I I can't wait to continue to learn more about licensing. I'm not quite there yet, but I know that Amy and Maura and Alan are all interested in that stuff. And I think maybe some other people who are here today. Get in touch with me. I mean, I can tell them, get in touch with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And the best way to do that is just go to phyllisdobbs.com is that the best way mm-hmm. yeah um okay i'll get my email out that's a long you know. <laughs> that's okay but they can go there and find a way to get in touch with you at phyllisdobbs.com phyllis thank you so much i really appreciate you being thank on you. and i and and just so you guys know it's still love on designers this week i think you're supposed to be encouraging someone so think about somebody who's behind you who maybe you don't feel as much of an imposter syndrome you know that you know a little bit more than what they know so reach out and encourage somebody because you have no idea how much that really means to somebody else for them to see that you like their piece or to comment it on something so um, this one's reaching back and the last week is going to be reaching forward and encouraging people who are our mentors people like miss phyllis and the next week we have van cooley and she's going to talk to us about some of our um in our internal battles that maybe we have that imposter syndrome that Miss Phyllis talked about. I think it comes to play for sure. And we're going to talk about some of those stories that we're telling ourselves in our heads. So I can't wait for you guys to meet Van and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>